Well, that little uh, bumper video is a great introduction to kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, we're just going to do things a little different this morning. I'm going to kind of preach like I normally would for the first half of the sermon. And then I'm just going to kind of talk to you this little bit, just kind of share some things that have been on my heart and what we've been talking about as a staff and this season of where our church is and what we think the great need of our church is and kind of why and, and kind of fitting that all together. So listen, so if you're a guest here, it's like not normal a little bit. And it, you may go, like, what was that? Like at the end, it was a little weird and Listen, every now and then it does get a little weird around here. I'm just going to be honest, okay? So, but just we're going to do something a little little different this morning. Let's, how great uh, would, would Monday morning be? Like, how great would Monday morning be? Because everybody gets, like, no one's excited. Like, I've never get on anybody's Facebook and, and uh, nobody goes, thank God it's Monday, right? That's, we're going to have that phrase in our culture. Thank God it's what? Friday, right? But no one says, thank God it's Monday. And so, uh, but how great would it be or how different would your Monday be if you walked in tomorrow and your boss said, you know what, um, I need to meet with you. And, and I just I'll come in. There's been something that I kind of want to talk to you about. And, and we think that you're kind of productive, maybe not as totally as productive as you could be. And so we've kind of come up with a solution. We think the best idea is that if you would just kind of go ahead and just write your own job description, right? And you're thinking, this is great. Like, I'm going to come in at 11. I'm going to work till 1120-ish or so. I'm going to eat donuts all afternoon, right? Like, this is, this is great. And it would be a totally, totally different environment. Listen, the only thing that would be better is this. It's if like your boss said, not only do I want you to do that, but we've decided we're no longer a top-down management company. We're kind of a bottom-up management company. And so while you're at it, would you just go ahead and rewrite my job description? How awesome would that be, right? Like I said that this morning, and one of our staff on the front row said, Amen! So, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Maybe you've had this experience related to a job description where uh, you have went in for kind of an evaluation. How many of you have like evaluations at your job or you do some or you've ever sat through or given evaluation, some of that experience? Maybe you've sat in evaluation and they're just kind of talking through this and evaluating you against what, you know, what they think you should be doing. And you're just like looking at your job description and thinking there's nothing, none of that's on here. Like I'm working hard, but you're not evaluating me against what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And maybe it's the right company or what's going on here. So maybe you've had that frustration that happens. Well, here's what I've experienced uh, with job descriptions uh, in, in my role as a pastor is that there is a fair amount, as a nice way to put it, there's a fair amount of confusion about what my job description has been over the last 12 years. Like like more than one occasion, so, someone has said, so don't take this the wrong way, which you're getting ready to take it the wrong way, right? Don't take this the wrong way, but like outside of Sunday morning, what do you do? And I just tell them the same thing every time. I play a lot of golf. I just, right? Like I just, I guess, as much as I can. Right? Like what, what do you, you know, what do you, or, or you think, listen, my, my oldest uh, child is 12 years old and I've been a pastor for over 12 years. And so literally for my kids, they, they've been preacher's kids like their whole life. They, they know nothing else. And so if there's anyone who appreciates and knows and can articulate what it is that I do, it, it's my family, my, my children, right? Wrong. Like at both my oldest two, 12 and 10, at some point in their childhood and growing up, and I'm sure the little ones will get to this place as well, they have sat down with me and said, Dad, like outside of Sunday morning, do, do you do anything? And so I just tell them the truth. I said, well, yeah. I said, most times on Mondays and Tuesdays, I drive from ER to ER, finding out if anyone needs my priestly services and offer a prayer. I said on Wednesdays and Thursdays, I drive and troll the parking lots of funeral homes and wedding venues, seeing if anyone needs an officiant, right? And then if the, the, those things are all full, then, then I, I play golf. And so maybe you've like honestly wondered that. Some of you are sitting there thinking, go, that's about what I figured, right? Well, listen, maybe you've wondered, like, like, what does a pastor do? 
And like, what are the outside of Sunday morning? And what are the responsibilities? And, and how does that all work? Well, listen, here's some good news. I'm going to answer the question once for all. I'm going to preach a little message this morning. Then I'm going to kind of give you a vision talk at the end. And I'm going to preach a message this morning called this. Uh, why pastors get the big bucks. Is that not like a great title, right? Like why pastors get like what in the world would you ever pay a preacher for? And why, why would you do that? And so uh, so we're going to look at this uh, in, in Ephesians chapter four this morning. We're going to kind of walk through how the church is supposed to work and, and then maybe share some things that we as a staff see where we kind of aren't kind of hitting the mark that we feel like we could do better in. And so just a little vision talk at the end. But this has been my experience. Like as a pastor in the last 12 years, my experience has been this is that there is like one of three job descriptions that people have or what their expectations are of me or a pastor or, you know, what, what pastor should be doing. And, and so the first one is what I call is a chaplain. Like in their mind, like the perfect pastor, like they all they do is just, you know, all week all at the hospital. They, they make every single hospital visit like they visit you if you're there. It could be outpatient. You could be getting, uh, you know, just some, some but you're there. If they're extended families in the hospital, you don't know them, but you, you show up anyway. You do all the counseling, you do every funeral, you do every wedding. And so you're, you're just like sitting in your office waiting for the phone to ring for someone to, to need you at some one of those venues. Right. And so if you came from a smaller church or if you came from a pretty traditional church, that, that's kind of the role that the pastor has played historically. And for some people, like in their mind, that, that's why you pay the pastor, because he is the chief caretaker. His primary role is that of chaplain. And that's 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 what you kind of view his job to be. For some folks, there's kind of a second job description. And this is true uh, in larger churches. This is true kind of in white collar environments where folks work in leadership positions sometimes. And uh, in their mind, the, the pastor's role is not really necessarily a chaplain or, or caretaker. In their mind, the pastor's job is CEO. Like he's the chief administrator. And so what you're paying the preacher for outside of Sunday morning is to run the church and make sure that it's a well-oiled machine and that everything goes smooth and all those kind of things. And in some aspects, uh, there is a bit of that that goes on. Uh, we've got like 11 people on staff. And if you count the preschool, there's like 40 something people on staff. Uh, our total receipts, like missions and bills, all that stuff is over two million dollars. And so that, that is bigger than some small businesses. And so while there is some of that for some people like that, that's it. That's why you're paying the preacher. For some folks, the third job description I found is this. It's what I call the theologian in residence. Like like you never like no, you don't know him really. But like he kind of descends from the ceiling on Sunday morning. And he's been with God all week. And like he just preaches, like he studies 40, like you're paying him to study. And, and you just sit in your chair and you study 40 hours a week. And then you descend from the ceiling on Sunday morning. You deliver a word from God. You retreat back to your office and then you spend your whole week with dead people like Luther and Spurgeon and you know John the Baptist. And like you just that's all you, you study all week because your job is the theologian in residence. And they're, they're kind of I found, too, is there's, there's actually a fourth job description. It goes like this. Uh, he, he better be good at all three, right? Like, like all, yes, when I describe those, some folks are like, amen, that's it. You, you hit it. All those things are kind of thing. Well, he, here's the good news. The idea that, that we kind of would, would write our own job description or, or write someone else's job description, or we're not sure what a pastor's job description, or we're, we're kind of going to put all this together this morning in Ephesians chapter four and actually describe how God has designed the church to work. And then we'll talk to you about what we think that looks like and what needs to happen for that to actually flesh it. OK, so Ephesians chapter four, let's pick it up this morning uh, in, in verse 11. And this may not be the job description that you have. It may not exactly, you know, if you were writing it or you, you could change it up or this doesn't totally meet my needs or I don't think I like that or those. Kind of, but listen, this is the job description that God has drawn up. And so we probably should at least take a cursory listen of how he's kind of fit the church to work together. All right. So Ephesians chapter four, uh, beginning in verse 11. And he himself, do you get that? 
Like no, no admin team, no personnel team, no committee, no, nothing like that. All right. He himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, or as a result, when we get it right, this is what the church looks like. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working, listen to this, by which every part does its share, what happens? Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself uh, in love. Now, this is Paul writing here, and so to understand kind of the flow of thoughts and where he's coming from, uh, we've got to go back to uh, his citation of Psalm 68 that he talks about in chapter 4, verse 8. And so he kind of talks about, kind of sets this, this up. And so in verses 9 and 10, he begins to expound on uh, the passage where it says he ascended on high. He led uh, a captive of hosts uh, set free. And then he says this. Then he gave gifts to men. And so what he's showing is this, is that once Christ ascended victoriously, then he gifted some in the church to do certain things and others to do certain things. Why? So that all those parts come together and fit together so, so that the body of Christ is built up and matures one unity, one faith into all that God has called it to be. And so he kind of describes it this way. One commentator said this. He said, God sovereignly distributes gifts to the members of his body. The building of the body is linked with this, his intention of filling the universe with his rule since the church. Now listen, since the church is God's instrument in carrying out his purposes for the world. Now, I want you to grab a hold of that. Like God, God of the universe. And all that he wants to do in the world and all his purposes and his plan unfolding in this world. Listen, the thing he chose for the vehicle to carry that out is this thing that we call the church. And if you've ever been in church leadership, if you've ever been on church staff, listen, if you've ever just been in church, there are times where, quite honestly, you're thinking, God, isn't there an easier way? Like, isn't there something that's more? Let's just be honest this morning. Who's ever been in a jacked up church? Anybody ever been in that Yes, yeah, someone this morning shout a first service said this one. So <laughs> I had the ushers take him out. But anyway, but like, like I've been there, like I've been, I've been in me. I like I've sat across some people and going, are you, did you just say that? I've seen people act foolish in church. And so, but, but despite all the shortcomings and this conglomeration of sinners trying to get things done the right way and all the challenges in that, that God said, listen, I have called the church to, to be the vehicle to share forth the gospel and make the name of Jesus Christ famous. And so whether it's broken, whether you think it's efficient, whether it's, you know, meets all your needs, it's what I've chosen. And so that's what he's describing here. So here's what I'm going to do in the teaching part this morning before we just share a little vision. In the teaching part, I'm just going to walk you through three simple, practical little things here in Ephesians chapter four about how this is supposed to work and why the pastors get the big bucks, right? So three simple but important points here in these few verses. Point number one is simply this, is the Lord gives leadership gifts to some. The Lord gives leadership gifts to some. Now, as you walk through this list, uh, some people say, well, there's five, uh, five kind of giftings there. And, and some people say, well, I think the last one's combined. There's four gifts. That's kind of the school that I am. And, and some people would argue and say, well, all these gifts are still in operation today in the church. Some people would say, well, these gifts were these offices were for a certain period of time. And some of them are, you know, are existent. All this is a totally different sermon, valid conversation. But we're not going to walk through that. So Romans chapter 12, if you don't know where spiritual gifts are at, 
That's real easy. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Those are the gift lists. All right. Now, in this particular passage, he's not trying to list all the gifts, but rather he's giving a description of men that he is gifted to lead and what offices they have or continue to fill. And so it's not so much a teaching about the gifts, but about gifted men and describing them. Okay. So he lists this off here. And what's he say? Beginning in uh, verse 11. And we're in Ephesians, right? That's Bible flu. Uh, verse 11, he says, and he gave himself uh, some to be apostles. Now, the word apostle simply means sent one. And, and the call of the church, what we're always challenging people to do is to go and be the church. And you've heard me say this before. It's not original with me, but the success of our church isn't measured by how many we seat. It's measured by how many we send. And so if lots of people are coming, but no one is going, then we're not succeeding as a church. And so the idea here of a, in an informal way is sent one. So we can say that, well, they're kind of an apostle from a church or so. But, but in the true picture of the New Testament, that's not the technical meaning here. That the apostles were the twelve chosen by Christ and then Paul later in that aspect who had seen the risen Christ and who were personally commissioned by him to found and build the church. And so once the church was established and built, that apostolic office was no longer needed. And so when someone in an informal sense and others sent ones, yeah, I get that. But in the technical sense, like there are no more apostles. And so how many of you have ever seen a church sign or a website where instead of saying pastor so-and-so or bishop or elder, it says apostle so-and-so? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, here's the deal. You should visit that church because that person's a couple thousand years old, right? Then you should call Guinness Book of World Records. Because in order to be apostle, you had to have seen the resurrected Christ and personally be commissioned by him. All right. So that was a gift. That was something that God called someone to lead to establish the founding of the church. Then he goes on and lists the second one here in this in this verse in verse 11. So he gave some to be apostles. No, no longer that office is no longer needed. And then some prophets. Now, there's disagreement about this one. Like some people would say this was an office that kind of complimented the apostles, that they had apostolic authority. They were out doing miracles to, to give uh, authority to the gospel, and this new message. And then, but then the prophets came along and had a direct revelation from God. And so they would go along and speak the words of God so that people had. Now, some people say that gift is still active, like God's still giving new revelation. And then some would say, well, I don't believe that gift is no longer needed. It's no longer active because we now have the complete word of God for instruction. And so to say that we need new revelation is to say that this revelation is incomplete. All right. So great, argue, great discussion. I've got my thoughts on that, but, the, but not the purpose of our sermon this morning. OK, so but there was clearly an office where those who are coming, giving revelation from God. And then he goes on in verse 11. So he gives some apostles, some prophets. And then verse 11 uh, and then some evangelists. Now, again, there's a little disagreement about this. Uh, some people would say that this was an office in the early church that kind of helped spread the message. Like these were the people that apostles found they had authority and then the prophets came along. They had a word from God for the people and the evangelists were just a gifted group of people who could take that message and just could spread it like wildfire. Right. That was fire, not flower, by the way. OK, so uh, so so this is a, uh, some people say well, that's a special gift. Some people say that's still gifting, like kind of still an office and that these are the people who can take who just naturally gifted evangelists. Like they can, they can take any conversation and just kind of turn it into a gospel conversation. It's smooth for them. And they just have a knack for introducing people to Christ. And so there's a little disagreement of that. But it certainly was, at the very least, a part of an office in the early church. And I think it's something that continues uh, as well. So, so apostles and prophets and evangelists. Now, again, the last one, I think this is one gift. And this is something absolutely that God is still calling people to. God is still raising them up into this office. And what's he say? Verse 11. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and then some pastors and teachers. And I think that's one gift. Pastor, teacher is that gift. 
All right. So apostles clearly for the early church. Prophets and evangelists, a little disagreement. Some say early church only. Some say those gifts are still in existence. But the last one here, pastors and teachers, clearly a gift, clearly an office that's still being fulfilled, still calling them to this service uh, in the local New Testament church today. And so uh, so that's why we're incredibly uh, committed to the word of God is because the way that God grows the church, the way that we're called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry is I'm holding it right here in my hand. It's to faithfully proclaim the whole counsel of God's word. And as people receive that and apply it, they're built up and equipped for works of service. And so if a pastor is well liked, if there's lots of people coming, but he's not faithfully proclaiming the whole counsel of God's word, then guess what? He's not filling the office of pastor teacher. So God clearly calls someone to leadership gifts. All right. Here's the second thing I want you to see in this passage was simply this. Those who are called to lead. So those whom God has called to the leadership roles, those who are called to lead are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we've kind of identified like, like who God has called to lead and what some of these offices are and, and what that looks like. And different church contexts kind of flesh that out differently. When they get down to that word pastor, some say the word pastor is interchangeable for bishop and elder and all those kinds of things. Some say, no, it's different. So, but, but the idea is this, that God has called some to lead. But so here's the question. Lead in What? Like, I get that God has gifted some to lead, God has called some to lead, but the question becomes, lead in what? Like, be the lead chaplain? Be, be the lead administrator? Be the lead theologian? All the above? Nothing? Well, lead in what? Well, here's the good news. Listen, we don't have to call a personnel team meeting to figure this out, right? Look at verse 12. What's it saying? Ephesians 4, verse 12. Some evangelists and, and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The word equip in the original language has the idea of making someone adequate or sufficient for something. And that something that we're making people adequate for is making disciples. We're to be equipping and making disciples so they in turn can make other disciples. And just pour, uh, just that over and over and over again. That's how the church is supposed to work. So, so what happened? Like, why is it in some church that it doesn't work that way? Why is it the churches get off track now? Let me tell you something that happened at some point in church history. Like at some point in church history, there developed this class of Christians called clergy. And the idea was that at a certain point in time is that, yes, uh, you know, the, the common folks can work in the nursery. They can hand things out. They can you know, do this and you know, whatever. But when it comes to the real work of the ministry, disciple making, we need to leave that to the professionals. Right. Well, one guy described this. He said that idea has permeated the church. He said, as a result, many churches are like NFL football games. He said, well, you've got 22 people on the field desperately in need of rest and 22,000 people watching desperately in need of exercise. Right. And so the church can be that way. And sometimes it's the churches, you know, well, hey, we'll just kind of sit back. And sometimes the, the, the staff or the pastors, they won't let people do the ministry. Like they're afraid that if they don't do it, then someone like their job security is not there. Or maybe they're controlling and you can't do it the way that I want you to do. Or maybe they don't trust the Holy Spirit to actually equip the people. Or, ooh, if I turn the ministry over to the people, it, you know, that's kind of scary. And I lose control and all those kinds of things. But the reality is we cannot get away from this. That's how the church is supposed to work. And the pastors aren't the chaplains. They're not the administrators. They're not the theologian residents. They're to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So what happens when the church gets it right? Like when the, when the church really looks like that, what happens? Verse 12 happens. For the edifying of the body of Christ, 
until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. That word perfect is not literally perfect in the original language. It means fully equipped. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know what that means when that happens? That we become built up to the place when someone asks us something about the Scriptures and what we believe, we don't have to say, uh, let me ask the pastor. Or I don't really, I don't, listen, I, I can't, look, I, I don't know, but that's what my pastor said. Have you ever said that? Like, I don't know why we believe that. My pastor said it's true and he's incredibly handsome and so I just trust him implicitly, right? Well, no, listen, when we come to a place where we're equipped, we stand on our own feet. We, we do those things. Well, look, keep reading. Speaking the truth in love. Growing up in what things? In all things. Into Him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together, what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so the entire body will grow to maturity. But it's not going to happen if we don't do it God's way. And what will happen in that context is this. You have a bunch of me first kind of people, spiritually immature people, and a bunch of burned out pastors. And when you mix those things together, listen, everybody's miserable uh, in that context. So, all right. So listen, that's the sermon part this morning. And if it was great, say amen. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was for me. That wasn't for you. That was for me. I just I just feel low. All right. So. So, so, so here's kind of so here's the vision talk, right? So let me just share with you a little bit what's going on in my heart, what we've been talking about as a staff for like the last uh, three or four months, because 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 Ephesians four is is the is the what like that's what's supposed to happen. But what's not defined here in Ephesians four is the how and in every church context. It, it looks different depending on the vision that God's given. Listen, if you like strategic planning, the mission is defined in verse 4, but the vision is yet to be defined in every church context. So some church, the way they do that, you know, different ministries and different environments and, and those those kinds of things. So so I'm going to cast a little vision on, on what that looks like and what our role is and what we should, we should be doing. But before I get there, let me just give you some background about how we got here this morning. Like I just preached through a series and I'm getting ready to start a series uh, verse by verse through First Thessalonians coming up. And so wh- why pause like one standalone message, usually preach series? Why, why a standalone? Why, why a different thing? You know, why is it more of a you know, kind of a chat and kind of a sermon? Why, like what, what, what is going on? Like, so, so basically, here's what happened. So we sat in staff meetings for a few months and we talked about a couple things. And, and finally, our staff just said this. They just said, you need to get up and teach this. You need to get up and explain to people what this looks like and, and what our job is and those kind of things. And so basically three things began to happen that led us to today. One was this. And you may not like to hear this, but I'm just being totally transparent with you this morning. One thing that happened is this. I sat our staff down uh, staffing at the beginning of the summer and I told them, I said, guys, I am so burned out. I am so burned out that the temptation is just to quit. Like that, That's how burned out I was. OK. And so uh, so our staff. Um, but th- listen, these guys are incredibly encouraging. Here's what they said. They said, well, it's kind of your own fault. Like, like Job's friends, right? <laughs> and so, and I'll, I'll get to that part here in just a little bit. And so, so here's, here's what's happening. Uh, I was getting a lot of this. Well, I know you're busy, but. Right, I was getting a lot of that. Uh, basically, I, I was kind of operating like oh, the, the size of the church when I first got here was, you know, under 400. And I was the only pastor on staff. Uh, and so so what's happening is every email like came to me, email request, and I answered every single one. 
Like every every uh, letter, you know, I need you to write a letter of recommendation. Uh, they they all came, even when we added staff, they all came to me, and I wrote all those uh, in doing that uh, in a three year period up until about a month ago. In a three year period, every single counseling request came to me. No, nobody else on staff up until about a month ago, and I and I handled all those that I could. Some we referred out, but I handled almost all those. Uh, at a point in time when someone, uh, you know, if someone. Uh, had a pastoral care, like if they went to the hospital, listen, they didn't want a pastor to come. They wanted the pastor to come. And like if the pastor didn't come, it was like, oh, he sent one of his minions, right? That's what I call our staff, by the way, minions. There were some Sundays where I showed up because some of our guys were preaching and I wanted to hear it. Uh, and so the first thing I would get after church was, uh, hey, are you preaching next week? Did you get so, so this? Those things. We're, we're half, I got invited to every social event, like every life group event, every personal party, you know, just all in. I felt incredibly guilty because I started saying, no, I can't, you know, I, I can't uh, come to that. And it was just the stress of dealing with our financial. And so I just got incredibly burned out. And, and then for a while, I lived in a parsonage across the street, like, like right across. Like, so there's no secret where I live. Right. And so there's a couple of times, like 730 in the morning, like, hey, what were you doing? I'm sleeping. Right. There was someone drive by and say, hey, I saw you out in your garage. What were you doing? Well, I can't smoke in the house. And so I have to go out in the garage. And so, so it's just, you know. Tasha's all, you know, we got a baby. You know, whatever. Anyway, so. <laughs> and so, listen, uh, so, so I just got so burned out that I told our staff, I said, I just, I feel like quitting. But one nagging thing kept me here. I believe it's God's call in my life to be the pastor of this church at this time. And you may be sick of me, but God's not through with me here yet. All right. And so, uh, so I just said, well, that's not an option because God's called me here. And so, uh, you know, and, they, and our staff did say, well, it's your fault. And they said, you just, you've not changed how you've operated since we've grown and added staff. You've got to get up and do, just, it has to work differently. What's worse. So that, that's kind of the first thing that's going on behind the scenes. And I'm just trying to share my heart with you a little bit this morning. All right. Now, let me just say this before we move on. If you're listening, say amen. Do not, please do not email me. Or catch me after church and apologize if you made some request on my time. Okay? I've been happy to do it. There's been a lot of fruit from that. I've enjoyed it. Uh, but, but here's the, it just kind of got to a point where I was kind of the main guy doing all of that. And I just, I couldn't do it anymore. And so I just kind of got to, so, so don't, hey, I'm sorry I asked you to show up this thing or account, you know, counseling request or, you know, but just please, please don't do that. It's not my heart at all. I'm just telling you, we got to a place where I hadn't made that adjustment yet. Based on, you know, adding staff and all those kind of things. So, all right. So, so that was one thing that's going on. Here's the second thing that started happening was this. We kept hearing over and over people say this. Hey, listen, we love the children's ministry at your church. We love, the, you know, listen, we love the worship. I mean, listen, preaching is off the charts. And I said, I get that. And so I just, you know, so like they just said, but, but here's the deal. Like we had some people come and they didn't stick around or, you know, and, and so we just kind of pulled those people and said, well, so what was it? And they, here's what they said. We started hearing this over and over and over again. I'm having a hard time connecting. Like, I like what I'm experiencing when I come, but, but I don't know anyone and no one knows me. And so I'm just having a hard time connecting. And we start hearing that over and over and over. And so when I was kind of burned out, we started to hear that quite a bit. And here's the third thing. Uh, we, ju- we just couldn't argue with the stats anymore. Like, it's hard to argue with stats, right? And so what happened is our job is to equip the people for the work of the ministry. And we think that happens in smaller groups. And the reason we think it happens in smaller groups is because of this. You can't be discipled if you're not known. And, and this room, and there's you know, a few hundred people in here. When we had one service, there were several hundred people in here. And this is a room of anonymity. 
And some of you are like, yeah, I love it, right? Like, like how was church? When it was great and Kyle was great and the pastor, I laughed, I cried. I got in late, I left early, I didn't talk to anyone. It was phenomenal, right? But here's the deal. You can't be discipled if you're not known. And so this is not the place that you build relationship. This is not the room where you become known and know others. This is not the primary environment for discipleship. Yes, you can dispense information in large corporate gatherings, but the difference between information and transformation is application. And application happens best when you will let someone else into your life close enough where they can lean into you and say, hey, guess what? I think you're missing it here. I think there's a disconnect in your spiritual life. That doesn't happen in this room. Well, it doesn't happen in this room apart from a little awkwardness, right? Hey, you, right? Where's that? It's in groups. And so how are we doing with this idea that discipleship happens better in groups than it does in these large rooms? And there's, listen, there's value in this room. And I'm not denying listen, but how, how, so how are we doing? That's the third question that we, we kind of asked. So, so can we just put that uh, chart up on the screen? So, so let, me, let me just show you this. Let me walk through this. So like in 2007 and 2008, you can see now this is just adults. This is not total worship attendance. This is not total group attendance. This is just adults, people that come into this room on a Sunday morning. So there's some students in there as well. But for the most part, adults. So you can see that the kind of adult attendance is the church kind of started to go through a rough time. That red line is worship attendance. And so the church kind of went through a rough time and then we kind of regrouped and reestablished some vision and God began to honor that and, you know, all those things. And so you can see that the worship attendance in this room has gone up and gone up. And so we're, we're incredibly grateful for that. But look, look at that blue line. Because this message today isn't about the red line, it's about the blue line. And the blue line, you can see that, that it kind of, you know, trickled down as the church, not, not near as sharp. But then as the church recovered in growth in the red line, you can see the blue line, not, not so much. As a matter of fact, if you go to the blue line all the way to the left and all the way to the right and look at them, they're, they're identical place on the graph. Now, here's another interesting thing, by the way, that when times got hard, like when the church went through a difficult season. Folks in the blue line are the folks that stayed canoe. Like they, they just kept right on going through. They just sustained them during that time. Right. So, so virtually, virtually unchanged. But let me tell you some stories behind the blue line. Let me tell you some stories behind the blue line. A few months ago, I was just saying our staffing, I said, guys, I, we just got some of our senior adults that have been in rehab and in facilities. And I, I haven't visited them. I, I just I can't get there. Uh, you know, I, I just need some. I need you to call and check in on them because I feel terrible. Right. And so the whole motive of my heart was guilt. I'm just going to be honest. And so our, some of our guys called and checked in. And, and here's, here's what we heard over and over for some of our uh, some of our old, older uh, classes and, and our senior adults. Here, here's what it said. Hey, you don't worry about it. You guys are busy. We know you got stuff going on. You don't worry about us. My group, my class has ministered to me like you wouldn't believe. They have called me. They have loved on me. They have encouraged me. They have come and sat with me. And I remember my guilt went to joy because I thought, that's how it's supposed to work. That's the church. A couple of months ago, uh, someone in our, our church uh, passed away unexpectedly. Just incredibly tragic situation. Very young. to Passed away uh, unexpectedly. And so, so they planned the memorial service. And so what happens, they plan the memorial service and, and they don't ask me as the pastor to preach the funeral. They asked their old life group leader to preach the funeral. And that life group had not been meeting for, for a few years at that point in time. That's how powerful that group was. That dynamic. Those are the people that have been walking through life with them. And so you think, were you offended they didn't ask you? I was thrilled. Not because I wouldn't have been honored to do it, but because I said, that's how the church is supposed to work. 
That's what it looks like when you're discipling and equipping people to shepherd other people. That's what it's supposed to look like. I was so proud during that time. And so we look across the landscape of our church. We think children's ministry, we're getting it. Worship environment. We like what's going on. Student ministry, all those things. But when we look at that graph, what we recognize, I just tore my Bible in half. When we look at that graph, uh, we just realize we've got some work to do. And folks are having a hard time getting connected. And we're getting burned out. And, and here's the deal. Now, here's what usually happens. At a place in the sermon like this, it's usually like this. Usually the pastor gets up and says this. And so you need to step up. Like you need to take on a ministry. That's not where we're going this morning as we kind of wind down here. What I'm telling you is this, is that we as staff have done a poor job of equipping people to do the work of the ministry. Not so much me, but the rest of the guys on our team. Can I I share it a little bit? Because quite frankly, it's easier when you're a pastor just to do the ministry. It's a lot harder to equip someone else. Are they going to do it right? Are they going to say the right thing? Are they going to know how to make that hospital visit? Are they going to, do they really know how to disciple people? I mean, the deep things of God is, you know, but listen, it's just easier. Just do it yourself. Here's the problem. The church is not set up. The church isn't supposed to work that way. And if we try to work the church in any other way than what God has ordained in Ephesians chapter four, the church isn't going to be built up and grow up in a maturity and in, in all the things that God wants it to be. It doesn't work outside of God's plan. And so here's, here's our heart and here's our vision. We just see that we need to launch a, a huge movement of groups in our church. You say on campus or off campus? Yes. We, we just need to see a lot more groups. And because here's what's happening. Our groups that have been meeting for a while, listen, they have great relationships. And they're, getting, they're meeting outside of church. I just had one of our group leaders catch me in between the service. He knows more about what's going on with the people in his group than I do. That's not supposed to work. And so our current groups, they're, they're getting it. But what happens is this, no matter how friendly that group leader is, if you've been meeting together for a few years and a new person comes into that group, it's just hard to break in sometimes. And if a group gets too big, then it's so easy to, to get back in the sidelines. And it's just like another preaching service where I'm getting information, those kind of things. So, so our heart is, is way more groups. I mean, a lot more groups. We need to start more groups to enroll new people. Why? So they can experience what we're calling biblical community. Let me walk you through that term. We're we're almost done. Here's what we're after is biblical community. Now, my experience is this, is that some groups, they're on one of that spectrum. On one, it's a lot of Bible. Like, and the goal is information. Like, the goal is we're a little seminary class cranking out little theologians. And and just the more information you get, just more information, more information, but no life sharing is happening. No one's weeping with those that weep. No one's rejoicing with those that rejoice. We're just here taking notes, getting information, walking out, never building relationships. And so there's a lot of Bible, but no community. Some are, (laughs) this is what I call, but some on the other end. Like there's a lot of, like this is what I call the Kumbaya group, right? Like we sit around or one one guy I know, he calls the uh, snack and yak group. He's like, we just sit around and someone reads a verse and everybody goes, well, how does that make you feel? Listen, don't put me in that group, Right. And so there's a lot of community, but it's not biblically driven. And so what we're after in starting these groups is not more information and just not more community. Listen, it's biblical community. And our goal is to equip people because here's what needs to happen. When you get in that group, when you really start sharing your life with people, because no one's standing up confessing sins in this room, no one's sharing struggles in this room, but you get in that place where it's safe in a smaller group of people and they know you so they can disciple you. And if we equip the group leaders in the right way, then guess what? When person comes and says, hey, I'm struggling with this, this is going to my marriage, with my kids, my finances, my health, all these things. The group leader is equipped to say, you know what, let me walk you through that because what is a failure is this. You better call, you better call a pastor. 
You need, you need a professional for that. And so what we determined, the reason I was doing so much counseling was because that was happening. And it wasn't the people's fault. It was our fault for not equipping people. It was our fault for not equipping to the point where they felt like, you know what? I don't have to call the preacher. I can handle that. I can, I can be a disciple. I can shepherd people and those kinds of things. And so that's what we're at. And that, that's where we feel like we're at this season in our church. And that's God's plan for our church. And I'm telling you, we have not done a good job of that. Like we have not. Our, our goal for a while has just been how many people listen. We have not done a good job of that. And so let me just give you a couple things here real quick and then we're, then we're done. Let me tell you some things that, that we, we want to do. We want to equip people to, to disciple other people. So what does that look like? One of the things is this, is that I'm going to pick 12 guys, probably guys who are still uh, now, you know, raising kids and kind of, you know, I'm going to pick 12 guys every year. I personally am going to pour into them every single week. All right, just hand, just 12 guys. I've got some recommendations from our staff and I'm just going to pour into them probably on Wednesday nights and I'm just going to take 12 months and then we'll find another 12 guys. And I'm going to start discipling these men who can disciple other people. Because that's how the church is supposed to work. I couldn't do that the last two years. I was the junior high pastor on Wednesday nights. Which, by the way, I want to say this for the junior high students. It was the best two years of their life. Can I just share that with you this morning, right? Not true at all. <laughs> I remember coming in there one Wednesday night and some kids said, are you, are you teaching? Yeah, I, I whipped them. So anyway, so I'm going to pick 12 guys a year and just pour into them. And I'm going to pick the 12 guys next year. We're going to start a biblical counseling movement, not a ministry, a biblical counseling movement. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. If you equip people the right way, when someone navigates a tough spot in life, then if a person's equipped, they should be able to take the word of God just like I could and open up and say, hey, you know what? Let me tell you what the Bible speaks to your situation. We don't need to call a preacher. We don't need to call the preacher. I can help walk you through this. And so we've got a resource we're going to put in your hands today. The training is right. I mean, it's, it's not far from here at all. I've been through it. Chris has been through it. But listen, it's designed for lay people to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we're just going to start pushing that. Uh, we're going to offer intentional life group leader training so that both Bible and community happen. And then starting next summer, we're incredibly excited about this. We're going to, ha- we're going to start hosting summer school, which doesn't that sound fun, right? And so here's what we said. We said, you know what? We're in close proximity to Cedarville. We're in close proximity to Answers in Genesis. We've got some other people right around here. We're just in a unique geographical place. What about if we went to those places and said, hey, in the summer or during the school year, you're teaching a lot. What about in the summer when you're not teaching? Would you come here and teach? And our folks could come and get equipped at a level far beyond what I can do on a Sunday morning. And they said, we think we'd like to do that. We don't know if we'll be an extension site. We don't know if there'll be accredited electives. Uh, but we just have been in conversation now for several months. And so in the summer, we're going to equip you to a level that most churches never will. You're going to sit through the same stuff that I sat through and get equipped. But here's the deal. I can sit up here and talk for 38 minutes and tell you what we're going to do and not make a difference. Because the real question is this. What are you going to do? Like, are you fine just to sit back and go, ah, I'll just let the clergy do that. Well, that's a big issue. You better call a professional. Listen, that's not how God designed the church. And our job isn't to do the ministry. Our job is to equip you to do the ministry. And we're going to start doing our job better. But what I need you to do is to take a step towards those opportunities, not away from them. All right? So we're going to close a little different today. In the back, we've got some tables back there. And on there's a life group card. You see, you know what? I need to step into biblical communion. Listen, I get it. It's safe in this room. If you don't know your Bible that well, we put the verse on the screen. Nobody asks you to pray out loud. Listen, a group, it's not going to be like that. So on the back is some groups. Say, hey, you know what? I'm going to, I want to be in a group. And we're not going to start right away. Probably launch in January. I want to be a group leader. 
I'd love to disciple the people. There's packets out there about biblical counselor training. And you say, you know what? I'm a little scared of that, but I need to get equipped to disciple other people. And, and, and so, so, so that's what we're going to do here at the end. So I'm just going to pray for you here at the end. We're going to take up an offering and then I'm going to turn you loose on the tables. All right. So, so let's pray together.